Welcome to the latest episode of the Social Housing Retrofit Accelerator podcast, where we dive into the detail to support your domestic retrofit projects. Hi, welcome to this podcast on mobilisation. My name is Sarah Daly and I'm an Associate Director at Turner and Townsend. And today I'm very delighted to welcome uh, my colleague Ben Bright, uh, who's a senior consultant. Uh, ben, welcome. Hi, Sarah. How are you? I'm really good. Thank you. Uh, do you just want to give us um, a little bit of context, first of all, about your background? So as we go into the mobilisation uh, discussion, people will understand your your experience in that field. Yeah, so, uh, well, my role with TNT at the moment is I'm a, a sort of support manager for the uh, for the Wave 1 process. So I've been looking after some of the Southeast bids. Um, and sort of previously, I worked as a commercial manager for an insulation company. So I was uh, responsible for kind of point of survey all the way through to delivery, managing site teams and production and sort of aligning those together. And then in addition to that, I'm a trained retrofit coordinator as well. So um, got a fairly good handle on the kind of PAS specifications that these uh, projects are delivered under. So, um, so yeah, that's my kind of background, really. Well, that's excellent. That gives you a really good insight into uh, what some of these teams will be um, facing at the moment. OK, so if we sort of dive in then, um, I've got a number of topic areas I was going to ask you about. The first is about budget readiness. So what sort of things do teams need to be thinking about in this mobilisation window between uh, getting their bid in uh, on the 15th of October and then hearing hopefully before Christmas if they've been successful or not? What sort of things do you think they need to be doing? I think some of the critical things, well, there's a there's a sort of an eight to 10 week period that can be used between now and the the announcement of successful bids. Um, and I think it's really important for teams to to actually think about the governance around that as well. So um, as part of the application, they've obviously been considering um, treasury sign off from from their individual organisations, but it's making sure that that's in place. Um, and particularly at the moment with kind of um, issues that are arising around supply chain, there's some risks associated with that. So it's making sure that that's all in place in prep, um, particularly for kind of um, there's projects at the moment where uh, they might be sort of um, very might be funded anyway in terms of this bid window is a, a, a way for them to kind of top up those um, that funding. So it'd be really important to kind of get that in place and, and and understand what those what the pricing structures might be and and getting all of that in place in prep to really sort of start in January proper. OK, well, that sounds sensible in terms of getting your ducks in a row. Um, so what sort of things are you um, considering? I mean, is it it's it, things like cost inflation in the supply chain? That's one of the risks that you think they need to be looking at. Yeah, I think at the moment to do with the new um, the new PAS processes that have come into place, there's obviously a, an increase in construction materials across the board in the industry at the moment, um, and specifically a, a lack of skilled labour as well. So there's an inherent risk behind that. Um, I think in terms of um, procurement as well, there are some um, some projects whereby procurement is still needing to be done, and in which case there's a there's a risk around delivery there, particularly if if procurement fails um, or if the pricing is not acceptable, then then that could really sort of croach into the delivery window um, and cause issues around the um, actual delivery within the timescales that's set out by the um, the SHDF. Yeah, so there's quite a lot to consider there in terms of um, not just qualifying the quotations, but also making sure that uh, those communications are had with supply chains to, to ensure that they will be able to deliver and they're mitigating against any risks at their end. 
yeah and and having good relationships with the with the supply chain now is is really helpful particularly because it it allows them to understand what the specification of the project might be when it might be coming um and building those relationships in the, in the outset is is really really important um particularly if it might be a new company that you're working with um or if it's a procurement route that you haven't gone down previously so there's a lot of dps frameworks that are around at the moment um and that kind of deviates outside of normal procurement processes so um if that's something that projects are, are being are utilizing then it's really really important to try and build those relationships with who might be taking on that work at a later date yeah absolutely and of course the other budget consideration is the fact that there could be multiple well there will be multiple bid, bid windows coming through in the future and just making sure that if you need to get sign off for uh, future contributions within the 2022 financial year um, that those are actually in place as well uh, at this point in time. Yeah, for sure. And and I suppose the other thing to consider as well is um, even if bidders are not successful in a wave one bid, then this is not, let's say, wasted work um, because with further rounds coming, if these procurement processes are in place or um, the, the projects are fairly well defined, then it could be something that could be utilised for wave two and, and beyond. Um, but yeah, the, the the point you made there about the uh, the change of financial year is really, really important as well. Um, a lot of budgets are decided in, in March, April time. So it's really, really important to make sure that all of that is locked in um, to cover off to the, the end of the delivery window in January 2023 as well. Yeah. Absolutely. OK, so just looking at um, uh, we touched on procurement and supply chains um, earlier. Uh, you know, what are your thoughts about the um, impact on, um, you know, making sure that you get um, delivery sorted, uh, you know, through correct procurement procedures and what sort of risks do they need to watch out for at this stage? So. If, if you're looking to procure a project, it's really, really important to have an idea of the specification, number one, but number two, what the associated cost of that entire project might be. So it could be really important to get some real time costings for the project that you're proposing at the moment to make sure that when procuring that you're getting a competitive price set against that. Um, it does vary wildly by location and um, there, there are sort of fluctuations around that, particularly with supply chain readiness in, in certain areas. So having an understanding of what that might be is, is really, really important at the front end. Um, and then really it's it's the major risk is is really around um, procurement and the timeframes that that might take and how that might encroach onto the delivery window. The January to January window um, is 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 obviously very set out and very refined. So making sure that you're you're ready to, I suppose, hit the ground running, as they say, um, in in January is 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 very very important. Um, so yeah, and, and generally it's just managing the rest of the uh, procurement risk. But there are ways to to navigate that. I mentioned before the kind of DPS frameworks and, and things that are out there at the moment that does link into a lot of the energy efficiency and retrofit supply chains. The most of them are involved in those those DPS frameworks. So that might be a good tool to to utilize. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, we have done um, a masterclass on this topic as well. So there's uh, there's some other uh, resources to to look at there too. Um, so if we move into um, a slightly different area then, which is res resident engagement. Um, now, obviously, you know, we would expect most organisations would see this as their sort of bread and butter in terms of what they're actually doing on a day to day basis. But what sort of conversations do you think um, bidders should be having again ahead of knowing whether or not they have been successful, but making sure they're they're ready to to go in January. Yeah, I, I definitely agree on the on the bread and butter point. I think one of the 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 main things to think about is the 
the difference between energy efficiency programs and capital works programs. Um, capital works, some, often the, the benefit or the difference is noticeable. It might be a new kitchen, it might be new doors and windows. So it's immediately obvious what's there. Whereas in energy efficiency programs, I think sometimes it, it, it's a bit more of a murky picture for, for some occupants. Um, so really engaging with them now and explaining the process that might be happening, particularly if these projects are ones that may be funded separately to the SHDF um, project, in which case you can start a lot of that resident engagement at the front end now and get most of those in place. Um, and it's really, really important to get to get buy in because it reduces the refusal rates that might happen on projects. Um, and overall just gives a better result. It makes it much easier for site teams, contracts managers, and just generally the project management if you have an agreeable occupant um, who understands the the whole what's in it for me um, argument, then it's that's a really good way to kind of mitigate that delivery risk. Um, and utilising the time in between now and funding award, which is sometime in January, um, particularly, like I said, if, if those projects are ones that are potentially going to be self-funded, then you can really make use of this this 10 week window um, and doing that. And it, it it can be from various sources. It can be a tailored approach. It could be um, sort of leaflet dropping. It could be video engagement. There's there's lots of different ways that you can engage um, and making sure that that is kind of covered off as, as soon as possible. Sort of mm -hmm. once funding is awarded or, or, or pre delivery. Absolutely. And of course, tailored to the different needs of occupants. I suppose one of the benefits at the moment of uh, the um, very scary news headlines is that there'll be most people will be very aware that we have got an energy crisis um, at the moment and that uh, mitigating that by having energy efficiency measures is one of the best things they can do. So hopefully the ground is a little bit prepared by the circumstances we find ourselves in. Um, OK, so that's uh, again a, a really helpful insight. Thanks, Ben. Um, another area that I thought might be quite interesting to explore a little bit is about uh, the project teams and how you might be getting them aligned to start the work. Bearing in mind everybody's got day jobs and they might also be working on other programmes uh, like HUG and LAD. Um, and then this is another programme that they need to be building into their, their uh, days. So how, what, what sort of advice can you give on that? Yeah, the project team is really important and it's it's thinking about it from multi-level. So it's not only governance project management, it's day-to-day -day project management, but then also site project management and how that's going to work. So lots of elements linking with each other where the resident liaison might come from. Um, but really, it's, it's also how you're going to report progress on the project back to your governance teams as well um, to make sure that they're aware of any changes, um, they can allocate funding and things and also making sure that you've got regular reviews as that that follows on. Um, in addition to that, there's there's obviously the uh, the PAS 2035 um, framework that needs to be adhered to as well. So it's really important that your project team is going to make sure that you're delivering those projects under that framework. And that doesn't necessarily have to be an in-house team. It can be an external contact or um, a contractor or it could be that that element is covered by the um, by the installer um, or the the sort of managing agent, but it's really important that that forms part of your team um, because without that, it's going to be very very difficult to have a handle on that PAS process and how to deliver those projects in a compliant way. Um, so yeah, it's it's really thinking about it from a multi level, and it's not just um, we are the project management team. It's really important to look at it from a, a multi-tiered way to to understand how the team might work um, with external people, but also the internal governance team as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've covered off again some really important points there that, that you know, it's easy for them to be absorbed in, in a statement like that. But actually, there's an awful lot of moving parts there that organisations have to think about. And that's almost a, a, an activity in its own right, isn't it, to actually break that down and to make sure that you've got the checks and balances and make sure the team's operational, you know, and hope there aren't going to be any more uh, waves of the pandemic that are going to affect, again, implementation. So lots to think about there. And from a risk management point of view, um, in the interim period between now and funding award, you can it's it's a fairly simple task to allocate who might be responsible for each of those elements and then who has overall responsibility for the project as well. And identifying those now um, means that once funding is awarded, it's everybody knows the um, which role they're going to fill for the project and and it will sort of yeah reduce the downtime before projects will actually start proper in January. Yeah, absolutely. OK, so uh, finally, uh, planning. Uh, so this is an area again, I suppose there'll be some organisations who were uh, ready to go. And as you say, this might just be an extra um, tranche of funding that will support them in that. But there'll probably be other organisations who perhaps haven't had those conversations yet or, or perhaps have just assumed there aren't planning considerations without actually having gone through the, the testing process. So what's your advice there? So Planning should should be looked at as part of the application process, but I think it is appreciated that that's fairly difficult if specifications are just being drawn up. So in the interim period, it could be putting that specification together and then actually having those conversations with the relevant planning departments or analysing that spec and understanding whether or not there may be some planning implications to it. Um, so an example of that might be no fines properties, um, but if you're in a conservation area, obviously there's a difference in the implications that that, that comes. So mm -hmm. making sure that those planning um, sets are, are, are in place um, pre-delivery window is really, really important. What you don't want to be doing is towards that window thinking, oh no, we haven't actually considered planning at any, at any point, and then that having a huge impact on that delivery window. Um, yeah. And it's re yeah, really important to kind of pick that up now. Um, and, and those implications and also costs associated with it as well, because um, there, there may be some costs with that planning um, planning set. And, and in addition to planning, I suppose, there's also the internal element of building control. So understanding what those costs are as part of the application, number one, but also the cost implications that that might lead to to the delivery window is really important, too. Yeah, absolutely. And again, uh, luckily, we have a masterclass, recorded masterclass that people can refer to on, on planning considerations. Uh, so obviously, every scenario is different. So we are not advising on planning, but we're just um, we have an expert, uh, Howard Lightheed, um, who has um, gone through some of the scenarios that might impact on planning. Thank you very much, Ben. That was really helpful, really excellent uh, insight and top tips and advice there uh, for our uh, bidders as they enter the mobilisation phase. Uh, there's, as I mentioned before, plenty of resources on our website and many masterclasses which go into some of the um, detail about some of these areas for you as well. Uh, but if you've got any questions that aren't covered uh, in those masterclasses or uh, this session, then please do contact us at info at socialhousingretrofit.org.uk. So thank you very much. And Ben, thank you again for all your help there. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of the Social Housing Retrofit Accelerator podcast. To receive the latest episodes, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or sign up to the SHRA newsletter. 
Check out socialhousingretrofit.org.uk for more information, events and news. I was your host, Sarah Daly. Thank you.